Well, I think it's interesting you talk about the sort of, you know, neo-noir quality of it. And I, I do think that the decision to shoot it all in the hot, you know, unsparing L.A. sun, part of that comes from, you know, the love and respect for uh, 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 Catherine Bigelow, because mm. the film is in many ways an inverse the point break. It's the undercover cop story. Um, and instead of the androgynous uh, uh, girlfriend, it's the androgynous girl cop. Mm. Um, and... I, yeah, I'm just, I was just so impressed with that. It's like she took um, 90s Michael Mann and wed it to Catherine Bigelow. Um, it's just, I, I, I just, everything about it is so, again, it's, it's that invitation thing. Everything is so small scale that everything hurts even more. Welcome to another episode of a podcast directed by. So now we are finishing off our month of Karen Kusama uh, with the movie Destroyer. And then after that, we'll talk about Karen Kusama in general and what is her best movie, what is our favorite, and what is her true masterpiece. So, Mike, uh, we are now, sadly, sadly for me at least, to our last Karen Kusama movie, her most recent movie, which uh, came out in 2018, uh, Destroyer, starring Nicole Kidman. Um, so this is a movie that, this is one of the two that I had not seen before the podcast. I had seen the three in the middle, but not the first and the last, or first and most recent. Um, and this is a movie I've been told by at least five or six different people. What is wrong with you? Why have you not seen Destroyer? It is so amazing. Get on it. Um, what about you? Did you see this when it came out in 2018, or this is this one you caught up with? Mm, I believe I started it. Um, I maybe made it like 15 minutes, maybe 20 minutes. I don't know when it was like premiered, I say premiered on like a streaming service. I believe it's on Hulu. Hulu. Yeah. Uh, and I, I think it was one of those things like, Oh, I wanted to see that. Like I saw the trailer for it. Uh, never played in my neck of the woods and I was really excited about it. And I've spoke about this before on the podcast, I believe with L, uh, for the Verhoeven series we did. Um, where I'm really enthusiastic based on the reviews and buzz and just access. And then I'm like, Oh, uh, it's that type of movie. Yeah. I'm not in the mood for this. Um, mm. and you and I also have very different ways of like, even for this, this podcast, the way that you, you watch them chronologically, like mm-hmm. you're going step by step with a filmmaker. Uh, I would like to do that, but I'm a moody fuck. So like I, try my best to to meet the film on the best of terms so whatever i'm in the mood for like mm-hmm. i want to be in a good place when i watch it and i don't want to hold my bias against it um so i stopped because i'm like all right this is uh, i'm not in a good mood <laughs> i'm yeah this is not you know and I, she <laughs> she does give you uh a varying amount of of, of moods here right even girl fight like i could watch girl fight most of the time because I have a rooting interest in this character and it's grounded in like a reality, like in a, a type of cinematic reality that I'm used to where it's like underdog story mm-hmm. <laughs> destroyer, <laughs> the invitation, clearly the things that you seem to gravitate towards, uh, a very somber, dark, mm-hmm. uh, not melodramatic because melodramatic would mean that there's like a swing of like, you know, happiness that was lost yeah. and the invitation would get two brief glances of, you know, a family that's about to be destroyed. Uh, here you get maybe one. 
you know, maybe I'm one not... like moment of happiness. Yeah, maybe flashback. Maybe and it, one. It's still dark. <laughs> uh, yeah, the the setting is one built upon like deceit <laughs> and like you know fear of death. Like you do get the, a really it... sad hand job in this movie though. So there's always that. I wasn't you know I honestly was not a big fan of that. Uh, I think that might have been when I checked out, which is, I know it sounds strange for me because as much as I love sex on yeah, but screen, this is not like titillating sex. This is here's here's my issue uh, with it in particular was. Um, the the killing of a sacred deer. Did we not get that? Like Nicole Kidman giving these like semi forced hand jobs like to oh, two men yeah, who get right. information. That's a good point. <laughs> I'm not liking this. Not liking this. It's trend. a weird subgenre that we've yeah, fallen into. I will not be making a podcast on that. The dinner party one though. <laughs> I'll be all over it. We could then talk about food. You know, we no, could have a true. different you know, yeah. crossover. That'd be good. Uh, you'll have to move to Kentucky though, because I feel like we'd have to record that live in person. Yes. I feel like it would be hard to do the dinner party <laughs> podcast. We just have over dinner parties every week, and we yes. just, be great. invite people over, invite them to weird things. This sounds see if they much take better than this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> it may have more crossover appeal. Uh, unlike Destroyer here, which uh, is a is a rough set. I don't feel like it was mismarketed in that way. Um, but it's like I didn't realize because I knew it was going to be told over like two different time periods. I didn't realize that like pretty much either one, like the elder Nicole Kidman or the younger one, <laughs> it's pretty much like a harsh landscape mm-hmm. and like life sucks. And it's got this real downtrodden. Um, I would say it reminded me a lot of like sort of like a like a Catherine Bigelow like '90s kind of movie, like a worldview. Like you have, it's very like. It's tough. also like a a rougher, tougher point break. Like there's a lot of, yeah, there's yeah, a yeah, lot yeah. of crossover with mm-hmm. point break here. Like even the, like yeah. the bank robbery sequences, but mm-hmm. it's like so much darker, <laughs> even yeah, not... though, even though strangely the movie is not like in terms of color palette, it's very bright. It's mm-hmm. very interesting. It's something I love about it actually is that it's, you know, it's got the, the point break stuff, but it's also, it feels like a noir, uh, but everything is so stark. And so exposed. And even like what they chose to do with the makeup for Nicole Kidman. Like it, you know, it looks like she hasn't had a drop of water in nine years. Like it just like everything is overexposed and cracked. And like, it's just, it's a really kind of looks gutsy. like a damn Tuscan Raider. And yeah, like I, I mean, I it's, a, it's a gutsy way to do a noir because noir is usually in the shadows and she's mm-hmm. doing all the stuff that should be in the shadows, but just in the, in the bright daylight, like, you know just beating the shit out of someone in front of their son in a batting cage. Like, just like, okay, you're going to do this at two in the afternoon. All right. I guess, uh, I guess we're in a hurry. Uh, so I like, I like the look of this movie a lot. Like kind of, again, what Kusama does a lot is just kind of turning things on their head, whether it's the way we look at gender or even in this, the case, the way we look at genre, like we're going to make a neo-noir, but we're going to have it in LA during the daylight, you know? And that stuff really, really worked for me. Uh, what worked for me? Um, I, I I felt like I really didn't like the structure of it for one. Like I did until I didn't. And it's like, so I was going along with it until I felt like, unlike the invitation where I guess you're waiting for all the cards to go on the table and then you're going to wrap it up pretty quickly. I felt like we get a pretty good handle on everything. And then what is revealed uh, and seems to be the reasoning for the the structure of it, I don't know to you. It just didn't seem to matter to me. I was like, Oh, okay. Like, like I felt like you could, you could break this part. Like, you know, there was that stupid feature on the memento DVD, uh, <laughs> where you could just watch it chronologically, watch it which I, I never did. Cause I nope. was like, well, that 
you know, why, <laughs> why even have the movie then? I don't, I don't know. Um, it's but literally one, a movie about fractured memory and you're just going to put it in order. Yeah. This one, I felt like, I don't know. I don't know if it would honestly made any difference to me, like the way mm-hmm. it played it. Like I could see this working equally or not better for me if it's just uh, like two halves of mm-hmm. a story. If it's just like you have a, a clean sort of, you know, fade to black or whatever, and then you jump ahead. Uh, and then some of the stuff you're being like kind of coy about, uh, you don't, you don't have to be. So this was one of those, you know, one of those times where I think I would just prefer them just playing it straight through. Um, because once we get to the ending of it, I, <laughs> I found myself more agitated with the film than I did as I was experiencing it where I was like, what, the, why the fuck do we do it that way? Like, what was the, what was the reasoning behind it other than, Maybe I don't know. It, it seems like it has a lack of confidence to me mm-hmm. in its genre trappings, where it's like they're not doing anything particularly different, and I'm not even asking them to because, like, I'm kind of enjoying it as we're going along. But it is something where I felt like, oh, you you kind of had that sort of extra layer to it because you have to like set yourself apart. Like, this is the reason this movie exists is because of this different like sort of time loop we're going to be in. Mm-hmm. And I found it really unnecessary. Nicole Kidman's mm. great. The she like has really good here. The threats that you yeah. meet feel incredibly threatening. Like they do mm-hmm. feel like you know, <laughs> they they feel like you know these type of movies you can really fall into that trap of like yeah you know, the criminal element where it's, it does feel like actors getting to play like dress up and play way more badass than they could ever like ever be incredibly be. Okay, theater um, kid. Sure. Yeah, it does have that sort of that sort of vibe to it. Uh, I, I think the best example of that is uh, Gary Oldman as the pimp from True Romance because it is so far yeah. <laughs> in the other direction that you're like, uh, you know, he probably was a theater kid that's now a pimp. Like, because yeah, he likes the, the theatrical work. nature yeah. of being this guy. Uh, but no, like all of all of the secondary characters. Um, yeah, you know, I, I think I think they really work here, including including you know you mentioned Bradley Whifford just getting beat up in front of his kid, <laughs> like all that stuff's good. Um, but yeah, I, I just had a huge problem with the, the structure. So explain it to me why you know why why do you think? Because okay. I, I have a feeling that you like the film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's actually uh, one of okay. my favorite parts about it. It's the structure. So I was kind of laughing when you were like, "I hate the structure." I was like, of course you do. Um, so I think <laughs> I think the reason for the structure, and it is. It is tricking you on purpose. Um, you know, you have that opening where there's, you know, a dead body and then she's obviously the like, you know, the the cop on the edge who nobody trusts. And then right. she sees she sees what's happening and then she stomps off to go solve the case. Right. So it forces you for a moment for like maybe the first 20 to 30 minutes of this movie to really root for her and be like, oh, she actually has like a heart of gold. Like she's got a lot of problems, but she's going to do the job that no one else wants to do. And then the rest of the movie is this complete downward spiral into showing who that character truly is. And then at the end, revealing that, like, oh, yeah, that's her fucking murder. Like, she she did this, and then she goes off to die. Like, it is it is very dark and very desperate. And you were such rough. a softie, Dave. Cause I love I, it. I, it's great. No, the, the reading you have of this, like, <laughs> cop with the heart of gold, I never had in the slightest. Oh, <laughs> See that that first scene, I was like, "Oh well, like obviously she's obviously drunk. Uh, she doesn't have good mm-hmm. relationships with anyone." But how many times have we seen uh, a movie with a male cop 
who doesn't work well with others, who's constantly drinking, who has a bad relationship with his ex-wife and his kids, but he goes and he does the job. And this is, again, Kusama turning that on its head and putting a woman in that role and seeing how people react to it, which I really <sighs> loved. It felt a little... Um... Uh, a little bit like, uh, do you remember the, the Prodigy uh, song, Smack My uh, Bitch the Up? The video where it's like revealed. Where it reveals that it's a sure, woman at the end sure. of this video. It yep. felt a little, uh, in this movie to me, felt a little strangely defensive. That it's like, a woman can play that part too. She can be like, just as just as bad and just as like, make as many like poor decisions. And I'm like, yeah, I dig it. I'm all for it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Let's go. <laughs> I also like that, I think. I think the movie, like, at least in my perspective, probably not yours because you were like, fuck this lady from the very beginning. <laughs> but as I was watching, like, you just kept hoping for, like, one good relationship and it just almost never comes. And really the only good relationship you ever had, the guy is dead. So, like, it's, that ripped away from you, too. Um, but you are definitely right about the physicality of this movie. Like, it's one of those movies that you could you could almost just turn it on mute and you could still understand what was going on. In this mm-hmm. movie. Yeah, you could so easily follow it. There's a there's a particular moment that like I mean I legitimately shuddered watching this performance. Like Toby Kebbell especially playing Silas. There's the moment when the 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 ink packets go off after after they rob the bank, and all there is is like Nicole Kidman's reaction to it, and Toby Kebbell just kind of tilting his head right before he walks back in, and you know exactly what's going to happen. That's what all that uh, monkey work will get you, man. That's He's right. Used to... <laughs> I mean, I mean, you joke, but like really, like. Yeah, just there's... becoming that much of a great physical presence. And mm-hmm. of course in that it's transferred to CGI, but it still is his performance. And you get that here too. And it's not easy because Toby Kebbell, like he's tall, but he's not like a big broad guy. He's pretty skinny. He's not like someone who's like physically imposing. So for him to inhabit that kind of role where with very few lines of dialogue, everyone here knows that this guy is the one to be scared of. And you absolutely get it. And you can get it just from that 10 second clip. And I was really, really impressed by that. And I don't know how much of that is him, how much of that is direction. I mean, it's probably a combination of all of that. But it's 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 a pretty great moment in this movie. He's got he's got sort of a certain uh, um, twitchiness to him. Mm-hmm. I think in some stuff I've seen. So to see him still yeah. and sort of calm uh, is a bit unnerving. Uh, he's on. I think it's one of the Apple. TV uh, shows the one that uh, yeah servant that M Night Shyamalan mm-hmm. directed the pilot for, uh, where he's basically playing like you know kind of the homestead like his home under siege uh, mm-hmm. and he's he's good in that as well. I I you know the one thing I would ask uh, in that sequence, um, which I felt like it was one of the few times I felt like what the filmmakers wanted to happen. And how they actually show it to us, there's like a disconnect. Like the they've built up the Silas character, and then the the Winter Soldier, uh, Sebastian Stan here, like has to go back into the bank and basically break cover uh, <laughs> and possibly put Nicole Kidman in danger as these undercover cops uh, races back in there. And it's like, dude, you <laughs> you've got this guy with his back to you. And you still managed to get like shot up. Like, can you give him enough time to turn around? Like, you know, this guy, like as you're saying that moment where he tilts his head, you know, someone is about to be murdered. Like, yeah. cause yeah. he's going back into the bank. There's no practical reason to go back into the bank at that point, other than like, it's a suicide mission mm-hmm. of carnage. And so I felt like if you can't, if you can't really pull it off where it takes me out of the movie where I'm like that bit of action doesn't make sense or it does a disservice to the, 
the sort of genuine nature of these characters. Like I have to believe that uh, Sebastian Stan and Nicole Kidman are somewhat competent in their roles. The, the fact that they're making because if they're not, if they're incompetent as undercover cops, then their choice to take the money is not really a choice at all. It's like, well, we can't do the other things. We might, we might as well be criminals. We might as well profit mm-hmm. off this. And that was part of my problem with showing that. I'd rather it actually just stayed in Nicole Kidman's perspective mm-hmm. where he just runs back in and then you don't know exactly what happened, but you know later. Like he doesn't come back out, right? right. And so Yeah, I could see uh, that. I, I do really like Sebastian Stan in this movie though. I think I think it's a pretty good performance and I'm I'm happy to see him slowly start branching out from from Marvel. Oh, you didn't like, like me calling him Winter Soldier? Oh, jeez. Disney Plus, baby. He's got to put on yeah, the shield again. That's Get true. the long hair, the wig, all of that. Ugh, good Lord. Have fun with that, <laughs> Disney Plus subscribers. Just keep donating to that nonsense. Um, but I, I really like the bank robbery scene in terms of uh, viewing this as kind of like a darker version of Point Break. Because I think, you know, the Patrick Swayze character in Point Break, he's very, very charming. He's right? awesome. He yeah. is. He's great. Like you can see why people would go along with him. And then when the turn happens, it's like you have the oh shit moment. Whereas in this, with the character of Silas, you know from the beginning that this man is the most dangerous person in the room. And they are there because they have to be. And I like that slight difference. And I like that there's You're saying the structure kind of contributes to that. Yeah, yeah. And there's yeah. no there's no sense of disbelief. Like when Patrick Swayze does something terrible in point break point break there's a certain amount of disbelief from keanu reeves like oh shit my my friend my obvious gay lover uh is doing something bad i need i need to stop this whereas in this you're always kind of waiting for the other shoe to drop like any like there's a scene earlier with like a you know russian roulette scene so you know this guy is fucked up from the very beginning um so you're not surprised when he makes that turn and i think that works to its advantage because you like you said you know this man is going to kill. He's going to create some carnage. There's no, there's no maybes about it, which is why you have the moment with Sebastian Stan, like he plays the hero in that moment. He goes running after him. And it's interesting, and it says a lot about Aaron, about Nicole Kidman's character, that she doesn't start essentially freaking out until he follows him in there. When he turns, she he has to kind of like, oh crap, here we go. But as soon as she sees Chris, Sebastian Stan's character, follow, she knows, oh, God, everything is fucked up. Because she was not going to be the one to go stop that crime. <laughs> like, And I think that that lends itself to her character later. It's not just like, oh, this terrible thing happened and she became a terrible person. There's some of that stuff in there already, even from the beginning. You know, So that characterization Man. actually makes sense. I, I love conservative Dave just saying she was she's a terrible, terrible evil woman. She was vile from the beginning. <laughs> Whatever the opposite of Mary Sue is. Like, you know, the the, the, the the palpatine version of it, which I guess we got. <laughs> so I've been told, yes. <laughs> Awful. God. Uh I was reminded there was a movie called uh, The Salton Sea with Val Kilmer that I only saw it once. I like, always meant uh, to watch that movie. Came out around, I, I think, that. 2002. I think it actually came out around the same time as Attack of the Clones, staying on uh, Star Wars, which was a mistake, uh, probably, to try yeah, to release that around that time. Not. See, now now studios have learned like nothing opens up against Star Wars or Marvel. Mm-hmm. They're just like, we'll wait a couple weeks. <laughs> Back yeah, then, I think, 
Back then, they had a little too much confidence in movies like The Salt and Sea. I think Greta Gerwig found that out with Little Little Women, right? She she made a movie that she didn't make. Yeah, <laughs> <geez>. <laughs> Here we go. There's those haymakers from Girl Fight that we're talking <laughs> <Yeah>. about. <laughs> uh, the reason I thought of The Salt and Sea was that it reminded me of uh, Vincent D'Onofrio, who I think is automatically going to be kind of imposing because he just like has a history of just seeming crazed on film. And he's uh, like physically an imposing guy. I know guy. how you. I, I know if he if he showed up in the invitation, gone. Would, like, I'm out. Yeah, you would bolt <laughs> out the back door. Uh, he played a, a drug dealer called uh, Pooh Bear. I only remember that because I just pulled up on IMDb. I didn't know that was called, but I distinctly name. remember he. I think uh, didn't have a nose because of his drug use. Uh, so you want to see Vincent D'Onofrio in a pretty frightening state, but that's also it, it came to mind because Val Kilmer is playing an undercover cop. Mm. So uh, you know, not. From I remember, quite as good as Destroyer, and definitely not Point Break level, uh, which I really hate wow. that you keep bringing that up because you're bringing up like Citizen Kane, like <laughs> you're bringing up what Citizen Kane wishes. I mean, it could I didn't be. bring up Roadhouse. I mean, that's <laughs> oh yeah, there, no, that's a tough. One. That would be a tough. <laughs> Who directed tough Roadhouse? Match. Can we cover that on this show? Did anyone direct that? Was we'll just it, cover it five Swayze? times, <laughs> one month. We'll just do like Roadhouse and Point Break double features, just Here's, back to back. Here's a question for you, because I feel like this one came out. Uh, was it Annapurna put this one yep. out? Yep. Um, and it didn't like it seemed like something like, OK, that's going to like attempt to catch a critical wave. Uh, yep. Maybe, you know, coming out Christmas, like just that you can possibly get Nicole Kidman an Oscar nom. I assume that would be the only legitimate yeah, she got, chance she got you the have. Golden Globe knob, uh, nom, but that's that's about it. But that's uh, definitely what they were going for, for sure. They were campaigning pretty heavily for that. But, I, I mean, maybe, and you're more, uh, you know, more aware uh, of the, the, the online dealings and the, the thoughts of the, the, the mob of, of film Twitter. Did this develop any sort of, like, uncut gems, like, enthusiasm? Like, because it is, like, a year ago, it was, like, the sort of, like, the genre entry that maybe could get some awards recognition. I don't think it ever got to that level. Like, there was a niche group of people who were like really, really into Destroyer and really pumping up Nicole Kidman's performance, which uh spoiler alert, I would say this is a much better performance than Adam Sandler in Uncut Gems, but that's neither here nor there because that movie sucks. But uh um, I would say he was better in murder mystery than he was in Uncut Gems. I mean Jesus. better in Happy Gilmore. He's better it's a friend of mine, uh, actually a <laughs> friend of both of ours, Manish, uh said he was just doing an uh, an impression of Iago from uh, Aladdin. Uh, throughout the whole oh. movie, which I thought was pretty good. <laughs> I think I saw another. I'm going to credit him anyway. I'm pretty sure he had a tweet where he was saying he was playing. Uh, was it Gilbert Godfrey? Yeah. Like, yep, like yep. Um, it, you know what? And if if he had his character had been named that, maybe he would have got an Oscar nom if he was maybe. actually doing a direct impression of <laughs> of a real person. <laughs> Absolutely. So I mean, it does make me wonder, like, why? Right? Like, so. There's the piece that anytime a comedian does anything mildly dramatic, you know, movie people lose their fucking mind. Like, oh my God, he could be not funny. He could be dramatic. Give him an Oscar. That's the best. Um, and Nicole Kidman, we expect great things out of, right? She's been nominated multiple times for Oscars. She's had a great career. So maybe it's not as effective in terms of that kind of Oscars nonsense. And then you throw in the fact that it's directed by a woman, so those movies tend to get short shrift from the Academy anyway, um, unless it's a period piece. And this is directed by a woman, starring a woman, 
but the gender stuff is thrown on its head and it's not a very likable character, right? We don't have a lot of uh, women that get nominated for Oscars who are unlikable characters, right? We don't have that. That seems to be a dude thing uh, that we get. <laughs> so so I think this had a lot working against it is, is what I'll say. Like, I well, think, Especially if they're going method, then they can be as unlikable as they want to be. That's... Yeah. <laughs> you never hear about method actors playing nice guys, right? Like, what if you were like in a romantic comedy and you're a method actor and just were like sweet and nice to everybody? No one would, no one would, it would get no publicity. <laughs> I mean, Tom no, Hanks got nominated for uh, Mr. Rogers, but has he been has he been method for like his entire life, his whole <laughs> adult life? That's, yeah, exactly. So I think you know this had in terms of in terms of awards and in terms of that, I think it had a lot working against it. I think you know if she had been nominated, she absolutely would have deserved it. I think it's a phenomenal performance. And way outside of the box for her usual, her usual roles. This is not a standard Nicole Kidman role. You know, like, I, I think the, you know, the closest thing in terms of appearance that she's done with this is like The Hours, uh, which I think, I think she got nominated. I'm not sure if she won, but the Academy does tend to reward that kind of stuff in period pieces, but certainly not like in a neo-noir and a woman who's violent and treats her kid like shit. Like you just, there's a lot going against it here. That was another, you know, another mark for me is anytime you have, if you have an annoying punk kid and then it's like, you know, this is all in service to them and their shitty existence. Uh, <laughs> that was, that was hard for me, Dave, in the second half when I, I realized bet. like, that's what this is all about. Um, <laughs> give me the Kusama that kills children in the invitation. <laughs> and off screen, version. like don't even, yeah. <laughs> you're not even worth my time and my camera. Uh, but this is one of those movies that I did, I did. And I don't know if this is good or bad, but you have that moment where you're like, God, everybody's in this fucking movie. Like everyone who pops up is like a known commodity, but only if you're like really into movies, right? Like I don't think a normal person would watch this and be like, oh, it's Scoot McNary. Like nobody knows who that is outside of outside of film circles. And the same thing with someone like Toby Kebbell or Tatiana Maslany. Like, but they are like it was nice to see Kusama being able to like pull these these people into her movies like she's actually getting a budget and she's getting a little bit more respect even if she's not getting the awards consideration if you talk to people uh who watch a lot of movies or people in the industry like her name is known and she is like building i guess quote unquote a brand for herself um but i do hope that she's able to kind of pump out more movies because like she's been working i mean think about this she's been working for 20 years and she's got five features that yeah, sucks, and man. unfortunately, like I was trying to see, like, okay, what she got next, and there's TV like show. three. Yeah, there's three feature films like in development, but of course, there's like no, there's no one even really attached to them as far as like cast goes. And yeah, the TV show sounds interesting. Yeah, <laughs> Melanie Linsky. Yeah, Juliette Lewis, Christina Ricci. It's got a, and it looks like you know, uh, like that movie Alive, but uh, with uh, high school soccer players. That's. <laughs> There's a, a lot going on there, man. But if anyone can pull that off, it's Kusama. Like, this is honestly, Mike, I want to thank you for picking Karen Kusama because, like, this is she is now, like, honestly, one of my favorite working directors. And I can't wait to see the next thing she does. Well, and that's not something I would have said a month ago. I would have been like, oh, yeah, yeah. I kind of like her. But watching them all in order and seeing that growth and seeing that change, I'm like, I cannot wait for the next Karen Kusama movie. I just hope I don't have to wait another fucking five years for that look, to happen. Man. You don't have to worry about that uh, hashtag 52 films by women thing with me because I'll Not just program around. Nancy right. Myers, Karen like, oh, Kusama. Got to do six more. Okay. Mm -hmm. There you go. <laughs>
right on the plate for you. Care of a month and a half of, mm-hmm. of fifty-two. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> so I mean, I. It's interesting because every one of these movies, I could see having a take where you didn't like it. Like they're they're not easy movies to like. I'm trying to think, like, what's the easiest of her movies to like? Just flat out, maybe Jennifer's Body. At this point, I would say girl fight. Honestly, oh, I would say that's that a good point. Be, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the most approachable for sure, and the most straightforward of the movies. But the other five, like, I could easily see someone watching this being like, "I'm not into this." Which, honestly, I think sometimes we can look back on these great directors, like you know, if we do a Spielberg month, we, we did Scorsese, if we do you know Orson, well, whoever. Like, it's so those movies are so solidified, and those directors are so solidified. It's easy to be like, "Well, everything they did was great." But with a director like this, I think the greatest directors and the greatest movies are going to put out films that aren't easily likable by everybody. Like, if we did that, then it would just be the fucking Marvel show, right? Like, this is like, okay, this is lowest common denominator. Everyone's going to like this. Let's have a good time. Whereas, like, actual art when it comes to cinema, there's going to be movies that are difficult to swallow. There's going to be movies that are tough to watch. Because they're actually pushing those boundaries. And there's gonna they, be there's gonna be movies where two women kiss, Dave, and yeah, you're just gonna have to deal with it. Bound to happen. It's um, bound to happen, Mike. I also think, and not to pat myself on the back too much here, but uh, when you do limit yourself to like there are only five films that they made, hmm. um, you, you can't really hide from anything they've done. Whereas, yeah. like as we said in the Spike Lee and Scorsese conversations, we're like we skip this. Yeah, we skip we the skip old that. boys. So you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so you probably get a, a better picture as far as where they are. Unfortunately, it took. You know, twenty years to get these these five features. That's but, so crazy. Twenty years. Yeah. yeah. Um. So it may make the segment where we do the you know best favorite masterpiece a little harder because <laughs> you, you are directly <laughs> picking on two movies. There are two movies that you're casting out uh, as opposed to you know the seven that get left on the sidelines from us. Mm-hmm. Okay, so let's let's get into that, Mike. What is your? Favorite? I don't remember which order. So we're, what, we're gonna we start do? with favorite. So what's your favorite Karen Kusama? Jennifer's body is is easily the the one that I would like have the most fun with uh, and want to revisit. Uh, I you know the way we kind of approach this segment, like I I can't even really consider it for best or masterpiece because I do think the Diablo Cody influence is so heavy, uh, and that's no knock against. Uh, you mentioned you know with the invitation Eon Flux, she's working with the same writers, I believe she's she married or she's partnered with one of them. Uh, because I, I remember reading that she she met you know someone she fell in love with uh, with Aeon Flux, so it can't be all bad. Even though she was <laughs> she was saying that the movie is mostly bad as far as the finished release product. Um, Jennifer's body, I, you know, I think it's like it's like a fun like sort of pop song that you have on, uh, and you can listen to over and over again. Uh, I, I do think that there's probably more depth than what it was given credit for initially. Um, and it would be one that I would, I would be more interested in what, uh, of, of any of these, I think, uh, just like, uh, a woman would have to say as far as just a viewer as an audience member, mm-hmm. even more so than like girl fight. I would want to know, uh, what the female segment of film fans think about Jennifer's body above all the other, other films. Yeah. Um, for sure. so the rest are just for dudes, right? That's, <laughs> that's, my, right. that's what I'm saying. Okay, yeah. ladies, one uh, for you. <laughs> yeah, just one. Even, even Karen Krasama says just one for you. No, um, yeah, I think that – I mean you could you could even make a case that like you could replace Megan Fox because she's kind of kind of just a stand-in for just, just like a physical presence of like you know the female form like at that mm-hmm. point in her life. 
Uh, but I actually think it works in the film's favor in that regard that you have like the best friend character. It's rare that in those type of films where the, uh, the best friend is actually gets like the meat of the movie yeah. to dive into. Like I'm the only one I could think of was, uh, like, uh, the truth about cats and dogs. That's about like the best friend. Basically the cast, same like, movie. I mean, you know, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm sure Janine Groffalo would have liked to, uh, to get some of Uma Thurman's like in demonic powers or whatever. Yeah. And that. it's been a long time since I, I don't think I've seen that since the nineties. So <laughs> that may be a bad pull, but, uh, I remember having fond memories of it, but I don't know how it's aged. There yeah. was phone sex in it, right? There was, yes, there was, there they, was. Yep. yep. Both characters jerk off. All yep. right. It's, it's, aged it's a classic. It's fine. <laughs> it is. Uh, I'll get to it someday on a podcast. Yeah. Jennifer's body is easily the one that I would want to revisit for pure pleasure the most. So that's my favorite. Yeah, I think this is the first time we've agreed in a while. Uh, oh, no. We're off to a bad start. This well, is what happens I, when you limit it to five This happens only five, yeah. But, I, I mean, this just fits into that favorite, right? It's just like you can put it on kind of in any mood. It's like it's tongue-in-cheek. It's enjoyable. There's, Of course, there's a message to it. There's some important stuff going on. But, like, even if you ignore all that, like, it's still just an enjoyable watch. Like, especially if you're, like, into horror at all. Like, that's actually the one thing that surprises me about how much you liked it. Because you're not usually a horror guy at all. So, when I fall, I fall pretty hard for it, though. Yeah. The ones that work that's for me. That's true. I'm, I'm it very follows. About. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, this is just really fun. I think it's one of those movies that you can, you could look back on and see. Like, you mentioned that, like, you could cast someone else in the role of Jennifer, but I think, I think Megan Fox is really good here. Uh, and I think, you know, maybe this says more about her acting career than it does about her. But like this is easily her best performance. Like I think I think she's great here. I'm sure it's the best material she was ever offered. That's the too. thing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Is it? And again, here's another reason why female filmmakers are important, right? Because a female filmmaker may see a woman who is a sex object to men and see something more and see that they can do something more. And I think that's what you get here. Uh, and it, but I do think the more impressive performance in that movie is Amanda Seyfried. I think I think she's really good. There's a lot. There's a lot more room for that character to grow. Right. Uh, the Megan Fox character like starts out as kind of mean, but, you know, you can see them being friends and then being possessed and eating people like it's it's a pretty <laughs> stark <laughs> moment. And then that's who she is for the rest, where is Amanda Seyfried's character is finding herself throughout the movie and finding her own power and becoming empowered. So, yeah, just a really enjoyable movie. I think uh, out of all these, I think it's the one I've watched the most. I probably watched it even more than Eon Flux. Sorry to disappoint you that Eon Flux is not my favorite, but maybe it's the masterpiece. Who knows? <laughs> I, I hope so, Dave. I hope that's the <laughs> direction you go. Can you imagine defending that? Oh, man. All right. So now we move to her best. Mike, what is what is her best movie? I, I'm, I would say Girl Fight um, because it is, you know, when we initially talked about it, I'm like, this is the most, this is the meat and potatoes of her filmography, right? Like she gets into some... Certainly with Eon Flux, some weirder terrain. Uh, I think any movie. I think this is the one where it both – I could see it being a masterpiece under my definition where it's like, okay, it tackles some of the same themes that she's going to revisit and come back to. And it feels like a Karen Kusama film. Mm-hmm. But I would go with – I would lean best because uh, I don't know how much strength there is in the narrative just on its own. So I feel like you have to, you know, you have her and you have Michelle Rodriguez and you have something that is memorable mm-hmm. as opposed to being, oh yeah, there's a, there's a boxing movie about a girl, right? <laughs> uh, that sort of thing. Um, 
and it wasn't million dollar baby like the and even then i think people remember the stool you know that's the the, the unfortunate aspect of that one uh so yeah i think that that's the one where you can see a little bit more of the the effort and work to distinguish yourself like from from things you've seen before uh you know some people may go a different direction they're like it's the uh you know whatever the craziest shit is like you uh i've not seen it but like there's a movie with nicholas cage that just came out like the oh, colorado uh, space that's the one i've seen but oh, it's okay. being compared a lot to mandy i've not seen mandy oh mandy's pretty there's great a, there, well, there's a lot of. I think you might hate it, but I like it. Okay, a lot. <laughs> I'm glad you said that because you know the 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 fandom for it, like the sort of reactions to it, is a bit off-putting to me. No, it's obnoxious. It's, it, yeah, it feels like, oh man, you've never seen anything like this before. And then it's like, hey, here's another movie with Nicolas Cage, which is like you've never seen anything like it before, except Mandy that came out two years ago was like <laughs> that. So, like, I I'm always a little bit, you know there's some trepidation there with that type of response to something that's just like you've said, the film festival thing where it's like, right. Oh, it's just so different and crazy. It just sort of like woke me out of my movie watching coma for like, right. you know, 10 straight hours. Mm-hmm. I'm always more impressed by someone taking a story about like what could be real people with mm-hmm. real problems like girl fight and presenting them in an entertaining and fresh way. So that's why right. I would lean. That's the best uh, for her, even though it is probably the most uh, quote unquote normal narrative that she's ever put on screen. Yeah. Yeah. I, I struggled with best. One of, one of the ones I was thinking of was Girl Fight. Cause I was just like, so, and some of that maybe because it's one of the few that I hadn't seen. And I was just like, Oh my God, this is amazing. Like, especially for a first film. But I think, um, I think I'm going to go with the invitation, uh, for the best. It's, and it's so interesting to me because of the 180 I've taken on it. Like every time I've watched it, it's gotten better and better and better in my eyes. So there's just like, there's so much going on. Like even like not just in, it's interesting. You talked about, you know, a movie with quote unquote real people having real problems. And if you take out, um, if you take out the cult aspect, <laughs> the death cult, that's, yeah. that's a funny sentence. If we can right. just remove the death cult. Well, and you know, that is context, but really it's to me, at least it's about the grief. It's about the personal interactions, it's about the personal relationships. Um, so that stuff really works for me. And like, it's, it's rare that I find a movie that every time I watch it, it just gets a little bit better and a little bit better and a little bit better. Um, and I think, you know, I, I think the first time I watched it, I was kind of turned off by the, the kind of surface level characterization stuff. Cause, uh, you know, a lot of the characters are just, you know, they're friends, but there's not a lot there. And I didn't really tune in to like the pain and the trauma and everything else going on. Uh, but every time I watch it, I'm just like, yeah, man, I really like this movie. Like it just gets better and better. So for me, that's, that's Kusama's, that's Kusama's best movie. Um, but what is her masterpiece? What is the Kusama movie? Like, okay, here it is. Here's everything Kusama can do. Watch it. Uh, unfortunately, I have to like agree with kind of what you just said, the invitation, which is funny. Like if you look at, because I've only seen it once and I was like on Letterboxd, it was like three out of five, which is kind of my like middle ground where I'm yeah. like, I don't really know how I feel about this. Just it's yet. The, but those are usually it's pretty good. Like that's... those are usually the ones that stick with you. And as I said, in that particular episode, uh, that's the one I've probably thought about the most. And like, I don't really know why it's not like I go to work and people are like, so that invitation movie from 2015, what it, <laughs> like, it does not come up in normal conversation. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it certainly wasn't as fun as Jennifer's body or as palatable, but I feel like when we talked about it, that is, it truly is the most like pure form of her, like what she's tried to kind of talk around and about, uh, 
like, you know, even going back to girl fight, like you have these uncomfortable situations that people are just kind of forced into. In that case, it's your upbringing, right? It's like, like being a young woman, here's how you're expected to present yourself. Even though the, you know, the culture and the sort of lifestyle she's around is like hyper aggressive. And yet you're asking this person to like adjust in a negative way to their surroundings, like a way that's really not going to be very forgiving. Uh, and, it's going to be, <laughs> she's going to be asked to be walked all over. And uh, like, you're just supposed to accept that. Like the invitation <clears throat> is darker in that it's like, it's about very privileged. It's seemingly privileged, successful white people mm-hmm. who <laughs> t- <laughs> taking privilege to the extreme are like, you know, the only way to deal with my individual grief uh, is to make sure that it's collective pain shared by like the world mm-hmm. which is like really scary but also like people in positions of power like you know that's you could see it maybe it won't be a death cult but the way they sort of lash out and impose their own problems on like people beneath them and the way people get angry about not expressing themselves the same way i express myself like we have the same thing happen to us why aren't you like handling the situation this way mm-hmm. like it, it makes it very hard to talk to people when they are and in pain that way because you want to like relate to someone, but you also like have to be careful about not saying like, well, I could handle this. Like what, you know, what's your hang up? That sort of thing. And she just put it in like a genre trapping of a horror movie. (laughs) And, um, yeah, I would say like, I'm like you, I could move that over to best, but I feel like it probably exemplifies some of those like stranger terrain. She likes to reside in more so than girl fight. So I think it probably like if I was going to get someone into Kasama, I would get them in with that one. Say if you had a good time with that one, which is strange to say, uh, <laughs> boy, check out Destroyer. You'll have an even better one. <laughs> Can't wait. Yeah. Um, so for me, uh, the masterpiece is Girl Fight. Um, oh, Where, where's Destroyer in this? I'm, I'm shocked by this. Yeah. I mean, Destroyer was like kind of like for me, kind of like second or third place for everything. Like I really like it, oh. but it just doesn't. Just That's what I call right the, the Goodfellas pick for me, where it yeah. can be anything. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, but girl fight, although obviously lesser budget, she's not maybe stretching herself as much as something like Jennifer's body or the invitation or destroyer, but it does have all of the things that I think of when I think of Kusama. It has her, you know, filling the entire screen giving you something to look at at all times it has kind of directorial tricks it um uh it has gender flipped on its head it has unexpected relationships so it just has all of that in like this nice neat little package that is approachable for anyone right so you could start here and not just because it's the beginning of your career but because it's kind of got all that going for it and then after that you can kind of like with kusama you can kind of stretch out i like our approach things. right i want to i want to punch someone in the back of the head and be like you didn't like that you're not gonna like anything i'm, <laughs> I'm a little off. nicer than you that's <laughs> yeah yeah so girl fight it's it's weird to pick like the debut as mm-hmm. as the masterpiece and i don't want it to sound well, like well, it comes across as insulting right right it comes across well it's all downhill from here guys but <laughs> but that is definitely not the case i've said more than once now kusama is one of my favorite working directors and she just kind of keeps surprising me with every movie. Uh, but this just kind of encapsulates kind of everything I like about her work. So I would, I would go with girl fight. Um, so yeah, that is our month on Karen Kusama. Uh, I would ask you, Mike, what are we doing next month? But you don't even know because you're taking a break 
Uh, and I'm bringing this in sounds a... like the best month ever <laughs> for both me and the listeners. <laughs> You're like, thank God. I'm bringing Don't have to in, hear him, bitch. I'm bringing in a guest host, uh, Andrew, who you may know from uh, his website, The Curb. He used to have a podcast called The AB Film Review. Review. He still has a podcast called The Curb. Um, lots of Australian film there, but we're doing something a little bit different with him. He had this idea for a podcast like probably 10 years ago now at this point <laughs> where he wanted to look at actors who became directors. So what we're going to do is we're going to do 10 movies that actors gave their first directorial effort. Um, so what we're going to do first, the first episode is going to be, uh, you know, best friends, Paul Newman and Robert Redford. So we're going to do Rachel, Rachel and ordinary people. The second episode uh, will be Angelica Houston and Jack Nicholson, a uh, former couple. Uh, so Bastard out, out of Carolina and the two Jakes. Uh, and then the third episode, we're taking a look at two child stars who became directors and Drew Barrymore and Jodie Foster. So we're going to look at Whip It and Little Man Tate. Uh, and then we are going to go with the Affleck brothers for the fourth episode. So Gone Baby Gone and I'm Still Here. Um, uh, and then we're going to finish off, uh, with more recent, uh, films that had first time directors who were actors. So we're going to do Book Smart and A Quiet Place. And I think it'll be around the time A Quiet Place 2 comes out. So it should, you know, time out just right for me to rewatch that movie and remember. I am appalled by this. And like, I'm, I have a question for your, okay. for Patreon supporters. What are they getting next month? That's a good question. Hmm. I have an idea. Maybe I'll interview the, you. <laughs> exactly. I okay. think we should do a deep dive into Edward Norton's keeping the faith because I'm appalled that you know did what? not make the list. I'm down. Let's do this. Yes. We can do okay. that. Okay, good. Planning the podcast in front of everyone. That's great. <laughs> Love it. All right. So next month, that's what we're doing. Mike's going to take a break, and then he will come back in uh, April uh, to reclaim his crown. Unless you're a paying customer. Then you get to that's hear right. three hours on keeping the faith from me <laughs> and five minutes from Dave. Uh, yeah, that sounds about right. Uh, <laughs> little Ed Norton getting his shine on our show. Uh, so uh, if you'd like to follow us on Twitter, we are at Directed by Pod. And if you want to hear that nine-hour opus uh, about keeping the faith, just keeps getting longer as we go. Um, I'm already taking notes right now. This can, is the first time I'll ever take notes for a podcast. Yes. You can donate to our Patreon at patreon.com slash a podcast directed.